Welcome to Lost in Revision. All of our content is public domain, literature, fairy tales, and folklore. Our goal is to at least break even to cover our expenses. So any support that you can offer to help us reach that goal helps keep this podcast going and you entertained. All of our music is by Nathan Hubble and is used with his permission. Thanks and enjoy the show. Chapter 7. Paul's Great Flapjack Griddle. Part 3. It was on the banks of the Red River of the North that Paul set up his camp, and there he assembled one of the greatest logging crews that has ever existed. So many men did he have in camp that one of his bunk houses had a hundred and thirty-seven tiers of bunks, and the men used to go to bed with balloons and come down in the morning with parachutes. It was a pretty sight to see them early of a morning pouring out of their bunks and floating down in great clouds just about the time that the cooks were getting breakfast well underway. No alarm clocks were needed in Paul's camp. He knew lumberjacks pretty well, Paul did, and so he just had a big pipe stretched from the cook shanty to the bunkhouses with a blower fixed in it. In the morning, when the cooks had their fires going, the victuals beginning to cook, and the coffee simmering, the blower fans were turned on and the smell of breakfast blown right into the bunkhouses. Then, if a jack didn't grab his parachute and jump out of his bunk right away, the camp doctor was sent to look him over, for everyone knew that he must be sick. Paul found that feeding his many men was a good deal of a job, and especially did he find it hard to give them all the flapjacks that they wanted, for they all seemed to have developed an extraordinary craving for this favorite delicacy. Since all of his men were so fond of flapjacks, he had to figure out some way to give them all they wanted, for he liked to keep his helpers satisfied. The special flapjack stove which he had brought with him from Maine had disappeared in a very strange manner shortly after his arrival in the Dakotas. The queer passion for hotcakes which constantly stirred Willie, the little blue ox, had grown rather than abated, and one morning he had stuck his head into the kitchen and eaten the day's supply at one gulp. He topped off this tidbit by swallowing the red-hot flapjack stove as dessert, and, as a result, he developed a very painful case of stomach ache from which he soon died. Just what Paul did with his body is not certain. Though the story goes that he sold the carcass that year, it was about 1857 when Willie died, it is said, to various packing companies in Chicago. These meat packers made a very good thing out of the remains of poor Willie, working him up and selling him for high prices. Not all of their stock has been disposed of yet, so much of him was there, and thousands of people in this day and age are familiar with Canned Willie. It is rumored that most of him that was still on hand when the Great War broke out was sold to the government to feed the soldiers and sailors, and some day there may be an investigation to find out if this is true or not. 
Paul Bunyan puzzled over the problem of getting enough flapjacks for his men, and finally he ordered Big Ollie to make him a huge griddle. So big was this griddle that the cookies greased it with telephone poles on the ends of which were tied great bunches of gunny sacks for swabs. As Paul kept on hiring more men all the time, however, it was not very long before it became far too small, and he had his problem to settle all over again. Someone at last told him where he could get a much bigger griddle to take the place of the one that was now outgrown. But it was so large that he couldn't at first figure out how to get it to camp. Luckily, it was perfectly round in shape. And though it was so thick when it was stood on edge that it made a track as wide as a wagon road and was terribly hard to lift, Paul soon thought out a way to get it to the place where he wanted it. Being so hard-pressed by the need of more flapjacks in camp, he had started working the inventive side of his brain again, and it was at this time that he invented the electromagnet. He and Ollie made two enormous big ones, so strong that when they were tested out for the first time, they pulled all the axes and saws and other tools out of the hands of the men in the woods within five miles of the camp. Seeing the trouble they had caused, Paul shut off the magnet at once. But it was worse than a jigsaw puzzle sorting out all the things that had been pulled into camp. He was quite pleased, however, with such a demonstration by the magnets, for he knew that they were just the things to help him get the big griddle to where he wanted it. Shortly before this, he had bought a team of mules, Jerry and Jenny, intending to use them occasionally while he gave Babe a rest. This mule team could travel so fast after they had had their regular feed of ten bushels of wheat apiece that no one else could hold them in, and so Paul always had to drive them himself. He used them hitched to a big, flat-bottomed wagon without wheels. So now he harnessed his mules up, fixed his new magnets on the back of the wagon, and drove off to where the griddle was. He swung the magnets around until their strength drew the griddle right up on its edge, and then he drove off, lippity-split, towards the camp. The pull of the magnets got the griddle going around so fast and following him at such a rate of speed that he hardly knew how to stop it. For the faster the mules went, just as much faster did the griddle roll along behind trying to catch up. It was clearly impossible for him to run away from it. When he at last passed over the spot where he wanted it, he just dropped the magnets out of the wagon and pulled up to one side to watch what would happen. It rolled around and around, like a big pie pan circling about on the floor as it loses its speed after someone spins it, getting nearer and nearer to where the magnets lay. It kept rolling weaker and weaker until finally it twisted around a couple of times more just at the place where he wanted it and gouged out a big hole in the ground as it turned. 
Then it settled down as nice as you please, right flat over the hole it had dug. And there it was at last, all ready for use and with a place for the fire underneath. Thanks for joining us today. Check us out on Patreon. You can help us meet our small goal of breaking even and covering our expenses. Your support helps pay for all of the things that podcasting requires and helps keep this show alive and growing. If you can't afford to support us financially, go give us a good review, subscribe or follow, and share with your friends and family. Feel free to fact check us and offer suggestions to make our show better for you. You can also send us an email at lostinrevisionpodcast at gmail.com. There's a lot more waiting for us all at the end of the road.